Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venueland, an EAMC podcast. This is your all-access pass to go backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live entertainment industry. I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to some of our favorite people as we dive deep into the world of live touring shows and the venues that host them. Our adventure today takes us out to the West Coast. Where we're going to visit with Kara Vanderhoek. You might know the name, but she's the VP of Marketing and Communications with Crypto.com Arena, which you may know formerly as the Staples Center, Microsoft Theater, and LA Live. Kara, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. Super excited. Thanks for making the time today. Uh, first, let's, you know, everybody knows the names, right? They've heard, you know, Crypto.com, uh, Microsoft Theater, LA Live, you know, kind of tossed around before, uh, you know, maybe at conferences or, you know, on the podcast even, but three very different venues. Walk us through those three spots. Sure. Um, Crypto.com, like you said, formerly uh, Staples Center uh, for 23 years, and now we're embarking on our into our 24th season and almost a year into the official name change to Crypto.com Arena is a 20,000 seat uh, arena home to the Los Angeles Lakers, Kings, Clippers and Sparks. Um, we also do between 35 to 45 concerts a year, family shows, WWE, um, all that good stuff. Um so that's our that's really kind of the anchor. And that was the first thing that opened in downtown um, as part of AEG's sort of expansion and sort of takeover and revitalization of downtown Los Angeles. So that opened in October of 99. Um, and then fast forward about eight years later, uh, LA Live and Microsoft, which was actually Nokia Theater when it opened, um, were the kind of the opening parts of LA Live and the entertainment district and opening and broadening kind of, again, the revitalization and bringing it like to life and even more, not just around the games and concerts that were happening at Staples Center, but this theater, um, the theater is 7,100 seats. Um, it does about 120 concerts a year, family shows, special events, corporates, but a large part of what they do and why it's a unique venue is the largest stage in uh, California. It's gigantic, um, which wow. in some of our concerts is intimidating so we have gone through some um upgrades and renovations to sort of make the space feel a lot more intimate but ultimately it's super versatile because we do a ton of award shows so it's home to the primetime emmys american music awards bt awards um we'll actually have the rock and roll hall of fame inductions coming up in on november 5th um this will be the second time we've hosted that um so it has the ability to host a lot of huge bigger events that require you know two-week load-ins and rehearsals and and all that stuff um which is awesome because it brings a ton of eyeballs and focus to the campus and to the theater um uh, and then la live is a conglomerate of restaurants uh hotels uh ritz carlton jw marriott at la live a variety of restaurants a lucky strike bowling alley a 22 seat club um the novo um so when the whole district was sort of created the idea was that artists would play the club and then they would go to the theater and then they would play the arena right like 20 years ago yeah. that was yeah now you put out one single and you're you're playing an arena so it kind of like <laughs> you don't on the single they just hear it on tiktok these days yeah, yeah you're on tiktok and you're boxing in an arena right so um so it's kind of that sort of 
philosophy or strategy. I don't want to say it got thrown out the window because I also think now it's reverse where some bigger artists are like, I want to play a smaller room or do something a lot smaller. Yeah. We also have the Grammy Museum, um, which is an incredible space and uh, artists, songwriters of any and every genre come through there. They actually have a 200 seat Clive Davis theater. They do one of the coolest events. It's probably my one of my favorite things on the campus and they'll highlight different artists. So you're in a room with 200 people. I've seen Zach Brown, Keith Urban, uh, the Dixie Chicks. I'm a country fan if you didn't catch that. Um, but I've seen a lot of a lot of different artists that I also wouldn't have ever had the opportunity to be in the same room with 200 people. So they do a Q&A with a curator and then they play like five or six songs, sort of usually acoustically or with a really small band. So the cool part about this campus is there's definitely something for everyone. And, you know, our theater, a big stake of what the theater does is Latin shows. So when Universal Amphitheater closed up in kind of the Burbank area of LA, when the theater opened, we did, we're able to sort of take on a lot of that business. So we have a huge calendar of Latin shows that play our theater, which is really cool. So when I started working in this business, I did not know the variety of different music that came across all different genres. And I have definitely brought in my musical taste and have a much bigger appreciation for a variety of music um, since starting. So I feel grateful for all of that as well. I love that you hit on the relationship they have to each other because I don't, I don't have any statistics on this, but I feel like LA Live was maybe the origin of all these districts that we're seeing now, literally all over the states, all over the world. It seems yeah. like everyone is stacking a theater next to an arena, doing a some sort of party flex space on the outside, and it, it's a great idea. You're able to do, you know, watch parties out in the you know, area if you've got a massive uh, playoff game, but you also have just all this flexibility for concerts um, and everything. But I do feel like, I mean, the first one I ever knew of or heard of is is LA Live and that whole area. And, and it did give you all with some of the unique things like you mentioned with the big stage. I mean, I think it gave you this really cool advantage that you could take on these massive events. Like I went to uh, X Games out there and that big stage you mentioned, they put a freaking half pipe on the stage. Like I would have never <laughs> right. thought of presenting like a sport in a theater like that. Like, it's just like not something that ever would have gone through my mind. But when you have a massive stage like that, you could build a half pipe and have people on there with skateboards and BMX. And there's plenty of space to do that. But like, I think it's totally. really something that's, very unique and sort of this origin of what is now being replicated in markets all over. Yeah. And I think, you know, when I first started here, it was kind of actually the, I think the first iteration of it was really the O2 in London. Like they kind of had that space there and it needed a lot of um, kind of some TLC or just like, how can we make this better? And obviously it's like, you know, probably the, all oh, I'm partial to who I think the best arena is, but um, you know, most popular as far as like overseas, you know, the O2 is just like, second to none as far as, you know, the number of shows that they get, hospitality, everything about that complex is really incredible because it kind of is LA Live under a big top, sort of, if, you've, if you're familiar with that space, it has a huge tent over it and it's super iconic um, on the Thames River there. So in theory, like, you know, because we don't get any rain here, we don't need a tent over LA Live. So we are really fortunate <laughs> uh, to not need that. I wish we had more rain. But again, to your, to your point, Paul, that it really was, as far as in the States or probably North America, it was like, the start of that right because then it was replicated in kansas city and then now now you kind of see it everywhere because it makes sense people want to gather and i think the exciting part like coming out of COVID, is like 
people want to gather even more than ever, you know, and we're also adjacent to the LA convention center. Um, so we get a ton of conventions. We have an event deck behind our theater. We have a huge plaza Xbox Plaza in front of the theater. So in theory, these events can come in and have like an entire campus at, they can take it over. Um, so we've done that with like Adobe LinkedIn's coming in in a month and doing a huge takeover and they'll do stuff inside the theater They'll have the hotel as their, um, you know, main hotel and they'll be at the convention center. They fill our restaurants. They do private events. So those are the weekends that it, when you're here, like the energy is incredibly high. And then usually sometimes there'll be a game mixed in or a concert. And it's just really incredible what can like happen on this campus from one day to the next. Like it's it's clockwork and it is a well-oiled machine. But I'm always amazed when stuff gets thrown at us and like we're able to pull it off in a, either a short amount of time or even with a ton of planning when it's the first time, for example, with the Emmys that were here a few weeks ago, we had a huge, we did actually have some pretty big storms for us here. Um, wind where like, again, there's tents and for, like temporary structures and stuff that are up. And like, we had to like completely shut down stuff for almost 36 hours, which again, in event world is a long time when you're trying to load in. So, you know, so you kind of roll with it. And, and again, being outside, it's always a little tricky, but you know, I always pray for the AMAs because I feel like every other year there'll be some like it'll be the most rain that we get for an entire year. Um, <laughs> I've been on a red carpet that you literally needed an oar to like ride down because it was flooding so bad. So, um, so I, you know, it's always the weekend before Thanksgiving. So it's a little little dicey. It can be 80 or it could be 60 and dumping rain. So, so yeah, so I think with that, it's just it's a re it is kind of the blueprint for what is happening across the country and across the industry. And I think it's really cool to be a part of, but again, you're also learning and going through the growing pains and coming out of COVID like, you know, restaurants, like I've took over LA live about a year ago. And as much as I know about the restaurants and they're a crucial part of the business here, I've really gotten to know a lot more about what they need from us and what we can do as the buildings to, you know, make sure they have enough staff working, make sure they know, you know, numbers of different things and door times and what time the show is going to get out. Cause then they can properly, you know, service our fans. Yeah, sure, that's a big thing. You know, even though we don't manage those places, we still want, we want someone from the moment they get there. Can't wait to see you email to the time they leave for it to feel like they got every bit of information they needed and that it was, as simple and enjoyable as possible. And it was the, you know, they spent all this money that hopefully they're not like, dang, where do I park? Oh, I didn't know I couldn't bring this size bag in. Oh, your restaurants have a long line. They don't take reservations. Like, and it's like, no, we like try to put it on a silver platter for you and hope you enjoy it from beginning to end. So it's been really cool to sort of be a part about of that from now adding the restaurant side of it Great, to yeah. it is really, really cool. And we have some really great partners and Kevin Johnson, who used to play in the NBA. Uh, he actually just opened a restaurant called Fixins. Um, it's a Southern soul food place and it is it's incredible. <laughs> Number one, uh, the, food's <laughs> amazing. the service is amazing and they are packed all the time. Like, and it's, it's my new fave, um, a little partial, but him and his crew have done an amazing job bringing that. I mean, on the weekend, whether it's, we have an event or not, it's busy. So I always think that's a huge success too. Like, obviously they, thrive on the event calendar but it's pretty awesome to see some of these restaurants really doing well on a dark night or a dark day when there isn't yeah. a conference or something going on so it's really opened my eyes and actually start when i started working i worked in restaurants so it's kind of a full circle moment but but yeah i think it's a it's really cool to sort of intertwine all of them and try to try to bridge the gap between our teams and 
our promoters, you know, like Kane Brown did an after party at Lucky Strike one night. So it was like really cool that his management wanted to just yeah, keep, the, awesome. keep the crew, go over, rent it out a room, did a post show um, with their crew. So again, I think it's just, it's, it is the blueprint um, and it continues to be. And I think that there's still, but, you know, coming out of COVID, there's just some challenges trying to, uh, we have a couple open spots that we're just trying to pitch some unique ideas to different restaurants. Cause unfortunately that was just a part of, part of COVID. Some of those folks didn't make it through and sad to see that, but I think that they're, you know, we're excited to see who comes in here next. It does seem like the experience sometimes is now, I don't want to say trumps the event, but it's almost as important, if not more important. And I think that's partly why that blueprint's being replicated, because it's not just about going to a Lakers game. It's about Correct. getting dinner beforehand. It's about going to the bar after. It's about the whole thing. And I think that's why all these markets are like, we can't just have an arena, have people show up and then leave and drive back home. I mean, they'll do right. that, but it's like, how do you really enhance that experience? Because you're frankly competing with other markets that are doing that. So it's like, I can go to this arena and this is all I get, or I can go to this one and I get dinner and I get the whole experience and I get, you know, it's all about the experience now. A hundred percent. And I also, we joke about it, but you know, not only do we market the show and get it up from, you know, it's like, coming up with something unique to announce the show and then like get the tickets on sale. And then like, if it doesn't quite get there, what else can we do in between that time? And then we start working on, okay, what are we going to do to trick out the backstage to welcome the artists and make everyone feel comfortable? And then what are we going to do outside to make the fans feel comfortable? So not comfortable. comfortable. um, Those things take a lot, like they take a lot of time to plan. They take a lot of time to create. They obviously require a budget. And then they just require logistics and execution from a lot of different departments. And, um, you know, we had Morgan Wallen this past weekend and nod of the cap to the uh, Bridgestone, who we borrowed an idea from, who we often do. Uh, We all borrow, right? (laughs) Uh, But they had a thing with like sand in your boots is one of his songs. And so we had built a sandbox and did all this stuff. So, um, you know, but it was like here Saturday morning, putting that all together, making sure it looked good, checking it Sunday morning because it was it was two nights. And so, and putting security on it to make sure someone didn't make a me- more of a mess of it all because you want people to take a picture and post it on Instagram. Right. And so, yeah. um, and we're trying to add some stuff too. you know, right now we're in the process of finalizing, we're getting all of our final signage installed um, with the name change. So we're just trying to also, and we have construction going on. So we're, we've just tried to sort of like smoke and mirror some of that stuff too. Like here, take a really cool picture here with like crypto.com looking really fun with this backdrop or balloons with Michael Buble and, you know, all these sort of things that people aren't necessarily taking a picture in front of a temporary sign, or maybe they are, and they don't look completely temporary. We've done a pretty decent job, but, you know, I think that we are excited for the new stuff to come in, but at the same time, and we'll still continue to do the fan engagement stuff, but ultimately it's, you know, coming up with strategies to get people to, you know, tag us, promote us, use a hashtag. Like it only helps all of our partners and sponsors. And, and ultimately it's just a really good fan experience that doesn't, again, doesn't cost them anything. It's just an extra thing for them. You talked about, you know, kind of, you know, the last pieces of signage come in. It's hard to believe it's been about a year, right? Since, Mm -hmm. since everybody said, I'm always calling it Staples Center, (laughs) right? So Talk to us about this past year and kind of how the community is shifting. Are they are they adopting crypto.com? What are they calling it? Uh, what's what's the vibe? Uh, you know, I mean, obviously for 
you know, I grew up here as well. So for me, for 23 years, it was Staples Center. And, and really right before the pandemic, we were in the midst of a 20 year anniversary. So, um, you know, AEG had bought in the naming rights back several years uh, before. I think it was like 17 or 18. So it wasn't like in, within the industry. I don't know that it was 100 percent a secret that we were looking for a new naming rights partner. But then the pandemic hit. And so obviously a lot of that went on pause and people weren't, you know, signing up for large naming right deals in the middle of that. So um, <laughs> what was pretty crazy is that happened really fast. Um, our global partnerships team is amazing and they hustle and they're always trying to find, you know, the unique partner, the partner that really makes a lot of sense for, for us as a company and for, you know, whether it's the market or not, you know, they're able to sell the cool part or the unique part about our global partnerships is that they can sell across multiple uh, entities, right? So it's not just everything at LA Live. Like we have stuff over, you know, London, Berlin, Coachella, Stagecoach. I mean, the touring side. So there's a lot of um, inventory for them to, you know, they have a Rolodex of a lot of things to work with partners on. So when they were able to connect with crypto.com, it made a lot of sense. And personally, I had to do a lot of research because I wasn't, um, I mean, I probably, I think we had about when it finally got to me and it was time to be like, all right, this is happening. I want to say it was like three weeks before the announcement. So, yeah. So, um, I want to say it was November 17th. We made the announce, which got leaked about two hours before we were about to put it on the wire. So I felt pretty good about that. Uh, I thought it probably would happen sooner to be honest. Um, <laughs> obviously there's so much sentimental value to Staples Center. And I don't think even people ever put it together that it's staple, like that it was Staples, the office supply, because right. when the building opened in 99, like the Lakers won three championships, there was a democratic national convention, like Staples made their money in like the first three years of just eyeballs and like the amount of I mean, attention that it brought. Right. Like sure. it was an incredible deal on their part. Right. And they forgot that was a naming rights partner. Correct. And occasionally, which is doesn't happen so much anymore now, but what was always funny to me is you'd be like walking out to lunch and someone would be out front like looking at their phone. There is a Staples about two blocks down Figueroa, an actual Staples <laughs> office supply store. People are coming in the lobby asking the ticket sellers yeah, for uh totally looking looking for, you know, and... a Rima paper or making a copy. But yeah, so that's always, you know, <laughs> one of my funny favorite things is people who have like literally no clue. But with that said, I think, you know, crypto.com is very forward thinking. Obviously, they're, you know, if you're watching anything, Super Bowl or any major thing. If you go to Vegas, like it's every they're advertising and their splash into the to the world is pretty incredible. Um, they're very like they think outside the box. And with Staples, like, you know, there wasn't necessarily a massive relationship with them and getting approvals and like really getting their insight where crypto came in, crypto.com came in and just really sort of like challenged everyone in a positive way. Like, like really pushed the envelope. Like what else can we do? How can we do this? What can we do? And it also it's like, again, you're coming out of COVID and like, you know, supply chain, all that sort of stuff was like, holy, like, and we have to turn this around by Christmas day. So we really had 45 days to like change the court, like, Get all the, anything like pretty much remove staples from anything, um, uniforms, court logos, scoreboard, yeah. like the signage, you know, sure. was like watching the letters come down off the thing, kind of bittersweet and sad. Sure. Like, but at the same time, like we're excited and it should be hopefully here in the next couple of weeks. Um, 
watching the new stuff come in. Right. And that's just, it's just been a process. Like, yeah, it's going to be a year, but like, again, all these, these things normally take that kind of time when like permits and, but then getting the goods and that kind of stuff, it's just been, it's like everything else, a little bit more challenging and a little bit longer. So, you know, all in all, it was a pretty incredible accomplishment to like finally on Christmas day, see it all happen and watch the court go in on, I think we did it on the 23rd. Um, you know, we got shirts for all the crew and tried to really make it. And of course, you know, there was a million memes and a lot of, a lot of negative comments. Um, but now I think the joke name is the crypt, which I don't refer to it in that. Just like I never call it. I always call it staple center. And then we always never put a the in front of it. So it was staple center because the fear was always that people were going to refer to it as the staples, which sounds funny, but think about it. Like now they're calling it the crypt. So it's kind of, um, Bob Leffitz was here the other night at Morgan Wallen and he referred to it in his write-up as the crypt a couple times. But I think people get it. I mean, the weird part of it from a marketing side is the dot com. That really for right. me. Right. Yeah. So I how's everybody really, reacting to that from a from yeah. a you know, from a are they call you know using that publicly or you in your show spots, that kind of stuff? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I mean, even with them, like it was like oh, well, no, our logo has to be in every, you know, show artwork. And it was like, well, can we show you how this actually works? Just want to give you like, you know, like even this morning we announced Muse and their artwork. It's like, you know, once we showed them, you know, 40 examples of past artwork of where sometimes they'll use our lo- the actual logo, but then sometimes they try to make it look like it's part of the artwork. And again, when I'm talking about their, we needed a lot of education from them and they needed a lot of ed- education from us. Sure positively just jumping into a different market space. So it was one of those moments where I was like, this is like the most I've learned about something in like a really long time. Like even though, like I had to, I walked in the office and I was like, does anyone know anything about cryptocurrency? And one of our graphic designers who was relatively new and is very young. And he was like, gave me like a 30 minute tutorial. And I was like, best 30 minutes ever. Now I actually understand what I'm talking about, you know? So <laughs> it was, And I downloaded the app and I started playing around and understanding like how it all works and stuff. So it was one of those moments in your career where you're like, all right, like what's the next big thing I'm totally going to learn. And that was it. Like learning about that whole industry, number one. And then being part of such a massive name change. I had been a part of one at the theater, which was pretty big, but it was also, it went from Nokia to Microsoft and Microsoft bought Nokia. So it was still part of kind of like the same family. family. So it was, yeah. yeah, So it was, it was a little bit different, still logistically punch listing all the stuff and changing it. Well, every now and then you'll still find something. And it's like, now it's like an Easter egg hunt, right? Like when you still find something with staples, (laughs) like, okay, where is it? Like you just have a pocket full of stickers that say crypto.com. You just slap them around on different things that are I found something on on a digital thing the other day. I was like, Ooh, we need to change this. Like, and I'm like, again, almost a year, like again, things that you just, innately like don't think about off the top of the bat like there is kind of a playbook for the basic checklist but at the end of the day like it still takes you'll still find stuff there's just no way after 20 x sure. you know, 23 years like it's gonna happen so so after that after that run i know you guys uh obviously the, the building starts to age a little bit you guys have done a great job keeping it up over the years but you're you're in the middle of a, a big renovation right now yeah um i think that's one of the most in- amazing things about, you know, AEG is that Mr. Anschutz continually, you know, puts in that financial and that capital investment every year. So you would walk in here and not ever think that it's 23 or four years old, even before the renovation. Sure. There's some like design elements where you're like, Hey, that looks like it's from the nineties, early two thousands, but it's not worn and torn with holes. And right. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's not a dump, right. It's just, it just is more of a, an aesthetic thing that has changed mm-hmm. over time. 
Um, so yeah, so that was about to be announced in March of 2020, um, obviously got put on hold. Um, so, you know, the unique part of this building is that we're the only arena in North America with four professional sports teams. And we've never, we haven't closed. We haven't closed one day to do all of this. It's going to be in three phases. So the second, all of our teams were eliminated in April slash May uh, from the playoffs, <laughs> which again, you never really know. Or hopefully, you never you always know. Hope that, you always, we always hope it's June. Um, and we're spoiled with having lots of June activity here uh, since the building opened. But so it's a weird thing, right? Planning construction with actually not having a start date, a, a firm start date. So yes, pretty much, I think it was like seven, about a week after we were, you know, knew we were done. They have, we have, uh, his name's Armin Debekchen. He's kind of running a lot of the stuff from the building side. And we have our whole AG real estate with Kevin Rieger and obviously our president, Lee Zeidman. They kind of, you know, put together the schedule and, and PCL is the contractor who was the original contractor for the building. And then we also have two of the same architects from the um, a building that have sort of have, are no longer working together, but came back together to sort of do this project. Cool. It's kind of a cool, a cool thing. Yeah. And so it's pretty incredible what they've pulled off since May. And a lot of it will be unveiled this weekend uh, at our first preseason game. So um, we have a bar and grill on our main level that got impact bar and grill that got completely redone that I actually just got a peek of this morning and looks really, really nice. It'll kind of be a flex space for some teams. It'll be a season ticket holder uh, space, other concerts. It'll just be open as a bar for for, uh, fans to grab food and drinks. And then we redid our chairman's room, which is on the event level. And that's really kind of like a VIP industry hang for concerts and, you know, somewhere where we host promoters, artists, guests, things like that. And then for games, it's for the ice, ice side and court side seat holders. Um, so the teams sort of allocate those passes and, and access on their side. And then in our bowl area, from a fan standpoint, that I think they'll see the biggest change on this phase is we uh, worked with Dactronics and we have a three level ring um, LED sort of ring all the way around mm. on all three levels that go below each suite. It looks really awesome. Uh, they just got finished yeah. yesterday. And I've been watching the testing. And then two on the on the upper walls where the Lakers banners and jer- retired jerseys are, are two, we're calling them hustle boards, um, but they can be used for game stats, um, sponsorship, anything. I mean, they're yeah. really multi-use. So, but all those screens and lo- along with the center hung scoreboard will all sort of tie in together. So that digital yeah. experience That's and the awesome. LEDs in there are, are pretty, pretty impressive and they look amazing. And then our suite levels, everything from the door of the suite out got upgraded and new doors, new carpets, total new aesthetic and decor, upgraded bathrooms, totally gutted and redone. Um, Looks pretty nice. Um, working on some installing some photos today. So we're on, you know, we're down to the final punch list of of phase one. And then next summer is phase two. And that'll um we have like our city view terrace. We have some main concourse level suites that are going in. And then in 24, uh the Clippers will actually depart our venue and are opening their own arena in Inglewood. So that at that point, that's where our downstairs locker room area will totally get redone um the kings and lakers locker room they're adding a tunnel club which is where fans could then see players come in and out as they go to the court or the ice so it's phased out pretty well and then again we just haven't closed which is pretty crazy so we even you know squeezed in several sparks games during the summer concerts um never really stopped so it's been this building's always 24 7 but it has legitimately been 24 7 since may 
how many locker rooms do you all have? I, I know sometimes like when you host NCAA events, you have to have a certain threshold. And I don't know if you all use yeah. any of the, the pro team ones. Like, do you all have a lot of locker we rooms? Yeah, <laughs> the Lakers, the and Kings and Sparks all have their own. Um, yeah. And then the Sparks is a little bit of a flex space. Um, and then there's a visitors NHL and a visitor visitors NBA. Um, wow. And then we have additional locker rooms or dressing rooms um across from there so we have six dressing rooms on one side four or wait one I'm trying to count now i think five locker rooms on the right side or on the one yeah, across. Oh it's, a, it's a very large and we don't you know typically for concerts like the lakers clippers and kings are never touched they're just i mean one because usually they're in in and out and there's no way uh if someone really wants one or they like i don't know it's they have an affinity or whatever they usually have they have to come in and like carpet it pipe and drape totally pay for a cleaning fee like should anything happen kind of thing so it's like yeah, not yeah. really worth it yeah. um so i mean and now again their buses are so nice and stuff i'm not sure why anyone would even leave a bus but um <laughs> or a lot of them live here right so they'll just go to their houses here and then just like come to like drive to the show True. so yeah. so yeah so it's usually i mean it's funny like on a grammy night like those a lot of them get used and they're like broken up into like quadrants so like it's always funny to be like ooh, who's in there that like they're like someone's on the other side of that curtain right that's like literally like cutting force and like they even though it seems like a lot of locker rooms and dressing rooms it's not and i mean even on on a show night of Grammys too, we'll actually sometimes we'll use so secret again, kind of making fun of our. I always joke that we built it because the weather's so awful. There's an underground tunnel that connects Microsoft Theater and Crypto.com Arena, so secret. you can you can use that. You can use those <laughs> dressing rooms too if you were really in a pinch uh, oh, on a yeah, uh, if there's not a conflicting event. But the Grammys sure. do a pre telecast at the theater. And then they move it over here um, for the for the main show. But um, yeah, that's a, a kind of a fun little thing. And it's a it's a it's kind of random, like and it needs some I, we were before COVID, we were wanting to come up with a really cool concept from a marketing side for that tunnel, because now it just looks like a ton, an underground tunnel, um, not really like finished off. But it has been used for like movies and different like commercials and stuff, because it's a very u- unique space and people like yeah. it. But it was done that way because originally like the theater doesn't have like a full kitchen. The staff will check in here. Like it was all the locker rooms were here. So from a, from a space and like efficiency standpoint, it just made a lot of sense to have everything emanate out of the arena. And then people could just cross over and do it that way and not have to like re-enter security and stuff like that. So some of that's changed, but it still is a nice, nice feature to have, especially when you're working at night and we have you know, two shows going on at the same time. It's pretty nice. I was say, easy way to get between them, especially if there's a lot of people like out in the lobby and the plaza. Totally. You're like, uh, you don't want to cut through all that. Instead, you just yep take the secret tunnel. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, obviously, uh, you know, with, with everything going on just at your place, there's a lot going on, but there's so much competition in the market for the right. entertainment dollar. What is what is that challenge like for you guys? I think a lot of people think like, oh, every, you get every show and and you sell out every show. And that's like, that that's not, I mean, that's the goal, right? Like, I mean, we always want that. And, but we scratch and claw for pretty much everything that we get. Our booking team's amazing. Uh, all my entire marketing team's amazing. Like 
we have an awesome graphic design department that's really helped us elevate. You know, we're pitching, we are hustling, we are going after agents, we're utilizing our assets with, you know, the Lakers, Clippers, Kings, and, you know, inviting people out to games and whining and dining and really trying to show off all the assets that we have that are unique, right? I mean, obviously there's just a ton of venues in this market and it's not just like Los Angeles, like it's, you know, Anaheim, even as far as San Diego. And then you've got, you know, I don't ever necessarily think like the bowl is a competition to anyone because they're just, it's a, an iconic outdoor place. Um, we have the bowl, you have the Greek, and then you have another, another arena coming online in 2024. And now the stadiums being, you know, a huge play with a lot of these artists, like they're putting on these like almost mini, you know, mini festivals. Like we went, I went to Kenny Chesney at SoFi and I mean, it was like, almost like a mini festival. There were four really legitimate artists. It was all started at five o'clock and went till super late. And, and, you know, SoFi is a gorgeous building. And, and so I think like with all of those things, like it's just, you know, one part of like why we're doing some of the renovations, but also like you want to stay relevant. You want to, you know, keep, you want to be top of mind. So we are just constantly, you know, coming up with unique ideas. So like when it's, you know, when Kendrick Lamar, we announced four shows, but he had shows at other places in the market. And uh, Marina Paul, who's our uh, senior director of marketing came and, and team, came up with a really cool idea to kind of have, a, he's like super, Kendrick's really into bikes, like cruisers, beach cruisers. So we made this whole video and they went all over town and like shot this video and it ended here. Like the Lakers shared it and liked it. And we just got like a ton of positive feedback. And so like I kind of said earlier, like you don't just like get the artwork and get a link and put a show on sale anymore. It's, it's a whole thing, which is super fun and exciting, but it's also like, you're constantly trying to like out achieve yourself from the last one that you did. You know, I mean, we did a call yesterday for, for Muse and, you know, with Michelle Bernstein and we're just trying to come up with creative things and, and they're playing Anaheim, San Diego and Vegas. So it's like, okay, all within the same week, like, all right, what can we do to like, just kind of, separate ourselves or do something cool. Like, and I hate to be like, let's do something that goes viral. Like you're never trying to do something that goes viral. You're just trying to do something that catches people's attention. And for better, or for worse, like I said, sometimes I'm always like, man, that was really awesome. But like, oh, now we're going to do that like every time, but how do we change right. it? Yeah, we do it right? you know? Exactly. You gotta be careful raising the bar too high. Cause then you're like, yeah. oh shit, now the bar is that high. <laughs> and, and we, and honestly, like I, I've, you know, we, we did take on a couple of folks from our LA live team who have been with us for a long time, Sean Otrakol and Eric Oginski. And um, they are, you know, have been with LA live, but hadn't done their venue side and they've just brought a different look to us. And, you know, and Evan Gold has been with me for a long time and he's our digital senior manager and he oversees all the social. So it's just like, it's been nice to have, have like new blood come in and sort of like, we've all kind of had, like, we've gotten a punch of fresh air, right. Or a different perspective. And then I have a new comms manager, Gabby Mungaro, who's almost been a year, but again, came from a different side from like more of the tourism side. So we all just sort of, you know, get in rooms all the time and use a whiteboard and try to get creative and try to out like set that bar higher every single time. But yeah, I mean, I, I know I kind of veered off from your question, Dave, but the competitions that it's not, and it's not just the venues that we're trying to directly compete against business. Like, there are two baseball teams. There's two pro football teams. Right, there's two right. big college teams. We have the beach. Like you can surf and ski in the same day. You can go to the mountains in the winter. Like there are a million things for your dollar to go, you know, the gamut. You know, this weekend there is 
there are shows everywhere. I feel like, and, and uh, sure there's a game at so, or I think Bad Bunny's at SoFi, but there's, you know, the Kings kick off their preseason this weekend at home. There's an, a festival, Ohana festival down in Dana Point for three days with like Eddie Vedder. There's a huge air show down in Orange County that's free technically. So people just go to the beach and for three days and watch airplanes for three, but it's free, you know? So like there's, but there's constantly like that, you know, you're really trying to stand out amongst all these events and get people's dollars and the dollar, you know, the ticket prices are going up because people are trying to make some money back. Like everyone's trying to make money back and yeah, cost of staff and cost of goods are also going up. So it's just, you know, it's been a, I think it will always be a challenge, but I think it's always, it sort of gives you that drive and that push to, you know, separate ourselves. And I think that that's, my team is very competitive and I love it. And so we'll just keep, we'll keep trying to raise the bar. Kara, let's talk about you for just a minute. Uh, you and I have something in common, which is that very lucrative communications degree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's very, very lucrative. Um <laughs> California State University, right? Uh, and I know that you kind of got your start there kind of with, with some internships. Yeah. When we uh, when I went to school, I played softball in high school or uh, most of my life and then in high school and went on a senior trip. Uh, and most of our family vacations revolved around sports, baseball, usually either with my dad or my brother, softball with me. And so uh, when I went on my senior trip, my parents uh, – let me go to Europe at 18 with a bunch of friends. There was a, there was a, a chaperone, um, but it, <laughs> it was a, it was a really good deal. And I'm super grateful that they, and at the time I'm sure it was still a lot of money, but I'm super grateful that they let me do that. But I was like, Oh my gosh, like, this is like a vacation, like this is a vacation, you know? And so I came back and I decided I, that I was done playing sports, was going to go to a JC and then decided to go to Long Beach state. And so uh, went into Long Beach State and then was like, man, I kind of do miss sports still. And so at the time, I actually played water polo in high school because I had hurt my knee playing softball. So I tried to walk on and play water polo. I didn't make the travel squad. So I was like, nope, I don't want it. If I'm not going to be on the full team, I don't want to be on the team. So then I went way outside of my comfort zone and decided to join a sorority, and which was awesome. And so it was you know, definitely not necessarily part of probably part of my path but I knew Long Beach State is a little bit more of a commuter school so if I didn't join something I would just not really get a total college experience so did that during my undergrad and for communication and I was like I don't know what I want to major in like I can't I really like music I really like the radio stuff and then I noticed all the athletes were in the communications department classes so I was like well these must be easy so I guess I'll just go the communication route. <laughs> And which is still a story I tell when I go back and talk to one of my professor's classes every year. And I actually ended up falling in love with it. I love to write. I love to be behind the scenes. I love working with the media. Um, and I had actually was going to a concert and ended up going up to a radio station and was like, do you have interns? And they were like, no. And I kept calling and I called and I called and I called and not to be annoying, but enough to be persistent. And they finally offered me an internship. So I worked at the radio station for a couple of years for a year, probably didn't even get paid, which was fine. I didn't care. I was like waiting tables and bartending and just, you know, hustling yep. and doing all that. And then I was getting ready to graduate. And I was like, well, I, I'm making kind of good money bartending. I can still work these events with the radio station. So I really want to get like a real job or like whatnot. So I, they had a, they have a school. I don't even know if they still have the school paper. They probably do. It's probably online, but the 49er and I'm looking through it and they had a, an ad for, uh, sports management marketing master's program. And one of my best friends from college 
had gone on to start work like right out of she was a couple years older than me started working at long beach uh, police department and she's like she goes if you don't get your master's now you're never going to go back and get it so my my words to you are go do it if you get in do it and i'm still to this day one of my best friends and actually just became the first female commander in long beach police department history which is awesome my friend steph wow. uh, so wow. she um so anyways but she was the one that was like go do it you'll regret it and you'll never go back once you start working and i totally am so grateful for that because that did lead me to the internship here at staples center walked in and christy castillo butcher uh who was my boss for almost 12 or 15, 12 to 13 years hired me because she also went to a Cal State school, which she went to Cal State Fullerton and was in a sorority. We both kind of had similar backgrounds. And my uncle was the baseball coach at Cal State Fullerton. So in some worlds, my name, my last name sort of helped me in that aspect. But she, you know, she took a flyer on me and I'm super grateful to her. And so I ended up working in the event services department, like event management for probably like six months during that season. And then a comms job opened up in our AG comms department. And I start. I worked for Michael Roth, who's our VP of comms for the whole company of for AG for about five years, which was amazing. And a really like sort of the, you know, groundwork of, of where I've, where I started and a lot of what I take with me still today on the comms side. And then when the theater opened in 2007, Lee Zeidman, our president and Christy were like, Hey, like we kind of need someone that's like dedicated to the arena and now this theater, because when the uh, arena opened, the Kings were kind of like, the team that did it right they were kind of doing the concerts oh trotters and wwe but like you know the hand holding not the hand holding but the you know the support that those promoters needed was getting higher and higher and it wasn't something that the king staff could continue to focus on so they brought me on and again i think that that was a, when i looked back on it i was like man i really didn't know a lot about marketing at the time i just kept teaching myself stuff and listening and um it's the best way though Totally. And I, you know, I mean, I walked in like my, well, when I worked for Michael, the first day I walked in, like, this is your office. And I look at the door next to me and it's Luke Robitaille, who's like, you know, Hall of Fame hockey player, who I'm like a huge Kings fan. And he's now the president of the Kings. And I was like, this like cannot be real life. Like, this is insane. But I would go in and like talk to him. And I like was next to our finance. It was like a random mishmash corner of where these, who these people were in these offices. But I would just go in and like talk to those people and pick their brains and um, like ailments who runs fan interactive and they do a ton of digital stuff. Now at the time he was working for us and one of the smartest people like I've ever had the, you know, pleasure of working with and we hired him eventually for a while. And so I would pick his brain. And so, you know, I just tried to like be a sponge at that point. And um, you know, I think Lee and Christy just also, and Michael have always had a lot of, a lot of faith and trust in, in me, which I appreciate. And, you know, I'd come to them with ideas and, and a lot of times I think what they also respected is that like sometimes I knew I needed help or I needed training because it wasn't something that I knew well, like I knew enough to be dangerous, but I didn't know enough to be the expert. And so I would go find the expert and go to them and be like, can I bring them in to help me or can I bring them in to help us? For example, Nick Adler was like he was with the Roxy at the time. Now he's with Golden Voice and he kind of set the standard for like venue social media at the time, like Paul, yeah. 2010, probably. And yeah. so it was, it was like you know, <laughs> and that whole crew in and we pay, you know, we paid them and, but I had to go in and do a proposal and be like, they are going to help us. I promise they're going to help us. We're going to get this money back. Like we're going to be like best at what we do. And this is going to help us kind of like going back to like, how do you separate yourself from the competition? This could be one way we can do it. And they totally were like, 
all right, we believe in you. Let's do it. And it was huge. I still use some of those tactics now. Obviously, a lot of that's changed over the years, but I still there's a lot of basics from that time that I still use now. And and I think that that's important. Like you can't especially when you're doing marketing communications now, it's, it's like such a broad area, like all the things that fall under me. There's no way I can be the expert in all those things, but I can take the time to listen to the experts or find the experts or give my team the opportunity to go to a training with an expert or bring someone in that can like help us out because that's what, that's what you need. And, you know, we're always going 24 seven. So for me, I think that's kind of like, I've just been super blessed to have that. I've also been super blessed to have an amazing family who, and friends who at first were like, can you still come to things? Like, are you ever going to show up to a birthday party or this or that? Right. Uh, and then, and then, you know, right. Probably about two years before COVID, I really kind of shifted a lot of like making sure I had a better work-life balance. Um, and then during COVID, uh, Paul and I had this in common. We both also sort of got the bug and decided to really put our health first. And um, so I, I got a trainer and I, changed my eating habits and totally just like made that a priority. And it just makes your mental health and your, I think your work productivity just a much better. And, and look, it goes in waves. Like right now I'm like, okay, I'm starting back up with my trainer this week. Cause I miss him and I need it. And, um, but I think it makes me a better, makes me a better employee and a better leader when I am in a better headspace to lead sure. and to make decisions. And, and so, you know, if there's silver linings out of COVID for me, it was like, one, I got to spend a lot of time with my family um, my parents and my brother and my sister-in-law, my, my niece and nephew, uh, who are near and dear to me. So I am grateful that I got all that time with them that I don't think I ever would have gotten. Uh, they all, they live in, well, my parents just moved to Vegas, but my brother and sister-in-law were out there. So I was kind of shuttling back and forth from LA to Vegas during COVID. And I'm grateful for that. So I think that I tried to find those silver linings because now it's like, oh man, like, look at this calendar and when can I go and how can I get out there and when can I see the <laughs> And so that, you know, again, it's, it's about work-life balance, but I also, you know, um, Hallie that I work for now is amazing. And, and my whole thing is always family first. My whole team knows that, right? Like, I think your family is like your base of, of, of everything. So, and leads the same way. And so, you know, when, when things go bad or someone's going through a hard time or, you know, health, health and family are your two biggest things. So, um, and we all put in so much time here that I think it's important to, make sure your people know that and that you're there to support them and that, you know what, like the show will go on even with or without us as much as we think it's not going to, it will. Yep. Um, <laughs> we just have to adjust. So I, I'm grateful for that, that I have that environment to work in and to learn in and to grow in. So um, I try to keep that, you know, and again, not every day is like perfect sunshine and roses. Like I'm not trying to make it feel that way, but I feel like I've, as I've gotten older, like I can, I'm not, so wrapped up in like, you know, like, Hey, that email is still going to be here tomorrow morning at eight o'clock. Like whether I open it, like whether I answer it at nine o'clock at night or eight in the morning, like, does it really matter? Like, I don't know if you guys use Microsoft oh, now, man. but maybe you should send this email at a better time when people are in the work hours. I was like, Oh, what is this new little thing that's up there? You know? And I was like, <laughs> you know, again, obviously there's, we still sometimes try to work after hours, but if it's, you know, if it can wait, like it's not, I just think that, you get more out of people in the time that they're here and they're focused than just trying to bombard them 24 seven. So you're not, wrong. you're not wrong. Yeah. So, you know, as we're closing, uh, closing up here today, but also as you're closing in on, can I say two decades, uh, oh. getting, getting near yeah. that mark, uh, you know, there, uh, 
you know, what, what advice, you know, you've, you've obviously moved up the ladder quite a bit from where you started off at that intern position to where you are today. What advice do you have to that person who's, you know, kind of new in the industry listening now? What's, what's been the secret to your success? I think the secret is like to be super driven on your own, like that you don't need anyone else to like push you. Right. Like I think in this industry, like if you can find some people that push you great, but I think at the same time you have to be driven. You have to be, if you want the next step, you got to go get it. No one else is going to hand it to you. Like you don't, you're not, Oh, I've been here for X number of years. Like, I guess it's time for me to get a promotion. Like you need to be your best advocate and you're your best advocate by showing off your work and by showing off your dedication. And, you know, I think Christy would probably, I, she probably every year I would go to her and be like, here's what I just did for the last year. And this is why I deserve this. And whether she thought I was crazy or not, it worked. And, you know, and I think it got me to where I'm at. And I, I, you know, I've recently done it. I think that there's just, you have to like, you're your own salesperson. No one else is going to do it for you. Now, look, I've had people that have been amazing advocates, mentors, friends, um, throughout the business that I've, you know, or I think will always be a part of my life, but still at the end of the day, it is a business. You have to treat it like a business as much as we all spend time together. And it feels like we're like, we are, you know, a work family, it's a business and you have to treat it that way. And then you have to, you know, come in and sell yourself, like sell yourself by your work, your, you know, your proof of work and your, you know, everything that you've done. And then, you know, because it does go so fast that you don't even have time to reflect. Sometimes you're like, Oh my God, like that was two years ago, but no, that was last year. So, you know, I think when you go in and you need to understand like when your budgets are and when things are available. And, um, you know, I think if, if you just sort of sit and let somebody else, I don't want to say control, but if you just sit, and I know that's hard for someone that's probably brand new to understand, but I would love it if someone knocks on my door and is like, Hey, when's the best time for me to show you why I think I deserve the next step and like bring me a presentation. I love that. Like, can I always guarantee you that that like is going to get you something? No, I can't. I personally can't guarantee you that, but I will be more likely to fight for you. And my boss comes to me and is like, all right, like we're putting that stuff together. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And then it gives me some ammunition and some background for me to, you know, especially when, my department's now a department of nine, you know, so it's a lot of, it's definitely quite a few people. And so, and they don't all directly report to me, but I do manage the department. So I think it's just my biggest advice. And when I ever talked to a class is I was like, you are your biggest advocate. I also think, and this is sort of makes me feel like a millennial when I say this, uh, <laughs> I know I hate that word, but it's true. I went and found a job that I knew I would, I would love and not, that's not, not only, everyone's not always lucky enough to find that in in their life. And for me, I would say if you can find a job that you love 75 to 80% of the time, you've like hit the jackpot. If you love it a hundred percent, you've won the lottery. So <laughs> I don't really feel like I've hit the jackpot because look, there are still times that it's a job, but I love, I love the people that I've met. I love the opportunity that I've had to grow. I love the incredible experiences that I personally have got to experience. But my favorite part is sharing the experiences that I love with, you know, friends, family, clients, vendors, EAMC folks that I've, you know, we've traveled and done vacations with, like, there's just, it's endless. So I'm super grateful to the industry. So I always like when I sit in a class or I say something, I'll be like, Hey, like, you know, you're wearing a Yankees hat. Like maybe you'd want, like, I know that sounds crazy, but 
maybe they're hiring or you love to drink Coca-Cola. Like they have an amazing marketing department. So I usually go and I'm like new era. Like you have that hat on, like they have an office in Irvine. Like it's some of these businesses are at your fingertips. Like, so maybe start off your career trying to find something that you actually really like. And then you may find out things like for me, when it was radio, I was like, I love this, but I kind of see the writing on the wall that terrestrial radio probably is not going to be around for my entire lifetime. Um, and so, <laughs> but it still gave me the bug of live music. I mean, I always love music. Um, both my grandparents were like both into always had music playing in the houses. So I've always loved music, but like the concert bug got me in like college and I've just never, never let it go. And I grew up a diehard Lakers Kings fan. So it was like, for me, this was like, this job was like made for me. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. We are so grateful for you for sharing your adventure with us and, and your time today. Before we wrap things up, I want to hit you with the fast five. Okay. It's five quick questions. Just looking for your, your instant brief response. First okay. of all, what was your, what was your very first concert? Garth Brooks, the form 1994. And I, how about your favorite concert? Ooh. Can all my answers be Garth Brooks? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I wish we had a whole episode just to talk about your Garth Brooks stories. But oh, I know. There are, there are a few a of those, I know. Maybe yeah. a second one. Um, <laughs> it's a, I always say it's a weird combo between uh, Garth, Jay-Z, and Adele. They're like a three-way tie. How about your favorite vacation? Maui. Uh, your guilty pleasure meal. So it's your cheat day. You can eat whatever you want. What's your, what's your favorite guilty pleasure meal? Oh, and an out burger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Last question for you. What's what's the theme song uh, for your reality show? So cameras follow you all around. It's the Kara show. What song plays over the opening credits of your show? Oh, man. That's a good one. You might have to edit this because now I'm going to have to have a, like a really long thought process on that. <laughs> like i know the song that you always sing karaoke at uh, every place yeah i am very much known to sing shoop by salt and peppa that would probably be because then people would know it was me it's kind of my brand um for my 40th birthday I, and that might even be my headshot that i send to samantha for to promote this podcast but i don't know shoop's probably not an appropriate one um probably i'll stick with the garst theme and say ain't going down till the sun comes up because i think i'm going nonstop 24 7 and i love it and um I like that it's just kind of the way kind of the way i roll like i i like i enjoy sleep but i'm not one to sit around very often and and just do nothing so ain't going down till the sun comes up there you go there you go oh you know i know there's a million stories we didn't get to so uh but we do appreciate you taking the time with us today uh and uh i really enjoy uh, always chatting with you awesome thank you guys Thank and a big you. thanks to everybody for listening to Adventures in Venue Land. Remember, you can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We'd love your five-star reviews so you can help others find us. Until the next adventure, I'm Dave Ruttelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. Thanks for listening, everyone. Let's go sneak out of the secret tunnel. <laughs> <laughs>
Guest research by Dave Rettelberger. Marketing strategies by Paul Hooper, Megan Ebeck, and Samantha Marker. Thanks for joining us. Until the next adventure.